Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Hello, everyone. Welcome to To The Point Podcast. I'm Rachel Lyon here, as always, with co-host Eric Trexler. Hello, Eric. How you doing? I'm doing great, Rachel. Okay, so are you as excited as I am about today's guest? I think we're going to have a great conversation. Now We say that every week, but I mean, I in know, our prep, we were talking we about the, one night in Bangkok. How exactly. can you have a, a better opening line than <laughs> I mean, that? Kinda, that kind of set up, right? You know it's going to be good. So Who do we I, have? Well, here's who we have. We have Greg Crabb, who is the former Chief Information Security Officer for the United States Postal Service, which I do want to preface this. People don't realize how big that is. 630,000 employees, 34,000 facilities, and 160 million delivery points daily. That's what he was working with with a team of 600 cybersecurity workers. He was also, for 21 years, the U.S. Postal Service Inspector General, and he is founder of 10.8, which provides CISO expertise to organizations to help them protect their protect their digital assets today. So welcome to the podcast, Greg. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you, Rachel and Eric. I'm really excited to uh, share my uh, experiences. And like I was saying uh, before we started on air, uh, now that I'm retired, all I've got is good old war, war stories. So I'm here to, to talk about the good old days and uh, what it means to cybersecurity. Love it. So, Love Greg, it. you started with the post office when? 2000 and... Uh, a little actually, bit ago. I don't want to yeah, date you too much, but yeah, I mean, you've I got mean, quite a bit of experience here. When you retire with 30 years of credible service, it, uh, it was somewhere in the mid nineties where I started with the postal service and, um, uh, had a great career as a federal law enforcement officer with the postal inspection service. And, uh, I was just grateful for the last six years to be the chief information security officer for the post office. So you've been bad, busting bad people. I must say bad guys, Rachel, but you know, keep it. That's right. You, you've, you've been taking care of the, the bad people for 30 years. It was wow. a it was a great career. And uh, the first four years of my career, I wasn't an investigator. I, uh, I was an auditor, but uh, 26 of them, the last 26, uh, spent a lot of time chasing uh, uh, Eastern European organized cybercrime. And uh, that was kind of where I uh, got my uh, experience relative to cybersecurity. So you've got a good bit in the Eastern European area where, where they're probably some of the best in the world at cyber crime. Yes. Yeah, it was amazing. I, I, I started my, uh, my first Eastern European organized cyber crime case was in 2000. And uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office, uh, at the time I was based in San Francisco and uh, working with the U.S. Attorney's Office in San Jose, they asked me to work a... Uh, a case involving uh, the shipment of uh, counterfeit software into the United States. Back in the day, uh, companies actually used to put their software on CDs and yeah. uh, you had to mail those things around right, the country. Right. And uh, <laughs> I, I'm like thinking about the AOL CDs now. Yeah, yeah. Even right. I know that's not what you're talking about. <laughs> Back in the day. And so um, 
uh, one of the big victims there uh, in the Bay Area was uh, Adobe. And mm-hmm. so I, I uh, Adobe's investigators, I worked very closely with them in the U.S. Attorney's Office to try to protect uh, their the copyright, copywriting of their products. And so uh, the you, the uh, materials were coming in from Ukraine. And uh, I spent three years trying to work the case and uh, we were able to to target the specific individual. He had set up a bunch of financial intermediaries to launder money all over the United wow. States. And uh, his primary uh, distribution method was through fraudulent eBay auctions. And uh, he was actually the first um, person to ever take over eBay accounts and run fraudulent auctions with them. So... He advanced wow. from selling counterfeit software to actually putting up um, computer equipment fraudulently on the eBay site. He would take over power seller accounts and then run these false auctions and get people to wire him thousands of dollars uh, all over the world. And um, it, it took me, uh, I, I was able to, to get a wiretap on his email communications, which was pretty cool. And we had like thirty to 40,000 of his email messages. And wow. uh, it wow. really detailed yeah. a, 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 and propelled me into a, a, an unbelievable uh, investigation activity in Eastern European organized crime. But um, we were ultimately able to get him arrested in May of 2003 in Bangkok. And um, that was uh, that was a great uh, end to a very difficult investigation and, uh, uh, got an opportunity to, uh, to interview him there and as well as testify in uh, Thai court in his extradition hearing. It was a, it was a fun time. So he was extradited to the U S yes. And is wow. that the gentleman who had the rough night in the Bangkok prison? <laughs> he did. He did. That's too uh, bad. I feel really heartbroken. <laughs> they were, we were talking before the show, so I'll share the story. And um, so the subject, uh, he was really, ex- uh, he was amazed that uh, U.S. law enforcement had come around the world to, to capture him. And he and thought he's he, Ukrainian. He was Ukrainian. Yeah, he's okay. Ukrainian. Uh, his name's Max uh, Maxim Kovalchuk uh, from from Chernobyl, Ten- Ukraine, and um, Maxim. Uh, the night of his arrest was just like he thought he was like Frank Abagnale that U.S. law enforcement had come halfway around the world in order to be able to to uh, apprehend him. And uh, he spent one night in Bangkok uh, prison, and um, we went to interview him, uh, and he wasn't cooperative and. Uh, I'll never forget uh, a little foreign service national that worked for the U.S. Secret Service was accompanying us in the interview. And um, she was 4'10", about 100 pounds soaking wet. And this is where it gets good. And he 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 uh, he just does not want to cooperate with us. And she goes up to him and she says, you remember last night? You remember last night? I make it thousand times worse. And uh, and poor Maxime starts crying and uh, spills everything about uh, the organized group that he's part of and how he executed these schemes and. Um, it was, uh, 
it was too much, I, I have to say. But one night in Bangkok, uh, <laughs> and you're made a hard, cyber made a hard man humble. <laughs> nice. And your and your cyber story begins from there. I actually had a, a uh, eBay transaction. Might have been an AOL transaction back in the day. I bought a uh, a four hundred dollar coffee mug. It was supposed to be a hard drive. I was, you know, I was building my own computers back in those days, and I get this four hundred dollar coffee mug instead of a hard drive. It, clearly mail fraud, and they mailed yep. it to me. So I opened up a case with the post office, but I never heard. So hopefully it was a uh, my Ukrainian friend, and and you did me a favor. I, I don't know. That would have been uh, probably eight years later, but yeah. Uh. Got the nice AOL coffee mug instead of the the whatever Max Tour or whatever hard drive it would have been in the day. Sorry about that. Uh, Do you still have it at least? I mean, if you paid four hundred dollars for it, I hope no, you can hold I on did, to it. It was no? a generic coffee mug. It was like <laughs> I guess he had to prove they had to prove they shipped something or whatever. Yeah, that was yeah, that was so they would release the PayPal funds. Unfortunately, wow, that was well before PayPal. I mean, that was probably ninety four if I had to take it. Oh wow, oh, that okay. was my first that time was getting early scammed. on. It was really wow. early. You know, if you want to call it cybercrime. But then yeah. you go to work with, you are the assistant director of econo economic crimes at Interpol. I mean, you've got a whole history here of, of, of cyber crime and, and yeah. chasing the bad guys down globally. What makes, yeah. You, yeah, what makes you go to become a, C, a, C, a, CI, a CISO? CISO, so uh, significant emotional events occur in a, in a company's uh, life cycle and uh, in 2014, the Postal Service was victim to a mass data compromise. And right. uh, that really, uh, at the time, I was responsible for global cyber investigations with the Postal Service. And uh, I had a couple of other hats that I wore uh, around uh, global security. But uh, at the time, and, uh, you know, when, when all the employee data of, of the organization is compromised, they need to... Uh, uh, someone to come in and really lead the charge. So at the time I was responsible for the investigative uh, as well as consequence management and remediation activities for the organization. And uh, it, uh, it was a tough time for, for the postal service. And uh, as you can imagine, there's a lot of coordination that needs to be made in a, in that particular situation. And it really, uh, opened me up to uh, work with a number of organizations that uh, I'm proud of uh, the relationships that we've developed today. And CISO was one of them. So mm -hmm. at, at the time it was US CERT uh, and they helped right. uh, lead the incident response activities and uh, work very closely with uh, with guys like Chris Butera. He, Chris was actually the uh, the incident lead on the on the case. He had been at CISF or at US CERT for a year at that time, and um, really grateful for uh, him and and the whole CISA team, as well as working with uh, the FBI and uh, the intelligence community to understand everything that had happened and why. And so we're. Uh, 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 we, we acted quickly. Uh, we identified the mass data compromise in late October. Uh, we had to remediate before the Christmas uh, rush in 2014 and um, coordinate with a lot of different parties. Uh, you can imagine yeah. all that's necessary. And, you know, we were able to do the, the remediation there over uh, Veterans Day weekend and, 
And that was really what kind of propelled me into the opportunity to sit as chief information security officer. And so, so you move from from really like worldwide responsibility where you're, you're going out and apprehending the, uh, you know, the adversary in some way, shape or form to looking at global postal, you know, cyber information security, security wow. really yeah. cybersecurity information security for the entire mm-hmm. global enterprise. Yeah. So I, I went from being the hunter to the hunted. Well, uh, th- okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And that was, that was a, a, a very uh, significant shift in my thinking. Uh, obviously having had the experience of uh, going after Eastern European organized cybercrime uh, helped me to understand what I needed to do in order to be able to view my organization from a defensive perspective mm-hmm. and build a capability. So when I inherited the information security practice, there were uh, 20 employees and 20 contractor personnel for uh, Rachel gave some statistics about the size of the organization yeah. and uh, really spent the next several years scaling wow. up that uh, capability to provide a robust uh, cybersecurity practice for the organization. Wow. Well, and it's not just the, I think you said 600,000 employees, Rachel, but it's, yes. I mean, you have offices, you have IOT device. I mean, you have devices everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, for example, I had to, Vehicles. We, did, we didn't have, we didn't have a good uh, idea of the amount of uh, IOT infrastructure that we had. And so right, right. went through a massive inventorying effort uh, uh, and identified the 66,000 SCADA systems, that, you know, wow. SCADA pieces of equipment that we have to move the mail in, in our 4,000 facility or uh, processing facilities around the country. And, um, and then, you know, you can just imagine uh, everything else that, that's necessary in order to have a proper risk management practice within the organization. And, it, you know, really moving it from, um, you know, our, our, when I inherited the capability, it was uh, the, the poor folks had trouble handling a lost and stolen device. The incident response capability was sort of eight to five a Monday through Friday with a 30 minute lunch break. And, you know, we, I built the, the incident response to be a 24 by seven, 365, 85 person, uh, capability. And, you know, the cybersecurity operations capability organization is very robust now, but you know, it, it, that's a lot of blood, sweat and tears that goes into, uh, being able to, to properly scale a uh, information security practice to a large federal enterprise. Wow. So, so Greg, you come in in, I think, 2015, right? Yeah, 2015. 14? 2014 okay. is the event. 2015, I'm basically assigned to to lead the information security practice. You're now being hunted. The, you're representing, you're responsible for the entire United wow. States Postal yes. Service global enterprise. You've now said, oh, I'm being hunted here. Okay. Indeed. How do you, I mean, it, it, you took us through a kind of baselining. Hey, you know, we've got 40 people, 20 contractors, 20 full time. But how do you even get your he- head around where do you start? Right. Like, how do you prioritize? What do you think about? Yeah. Awesome yes. promotion. I think it's a promotion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, honey, now what do I do? Yeah, totally. And, you know, from, from my perspective, uh, 
any CISO that goes into a new organization, they need to understand the risk equation and uh, threats, vulnerabilities, business impact. Those are the most important characteristics that uh, are components that a chief information security officer really needs to attend to. And I understood the threat side of the equation much greater than most, but the vulnerability side was an area where I needed to really scale up and understand the 1.2 million technology assets that the organization had, as well as the 600,000 employees or uh, from a social engineering perspective, a massive vulnerability spot. So we went about a massive training and awareness campaign across the entire enterprise to um, teach them about not clicking on links and emails or all those kinds of things that you need to do. And then um, hardening the infrastructure and uh, everything in between. So, and then business impact, uh, the relationship that you have with the, the company is extremely important to understand, you know, what are the operational needs of the organization and how did the, how does the trans, the technology that the organization rely upon translate into business impacts? And uh, that's a discipline that, really is core to understanding how to protect an organization. If you don't understand the business impacts of the technology that you depend on and how to prioritize those assets, uh, it's extremely difficult to really meet the, the organizational needs for, for operational resilience. Do you feel a lot of CISOs come in thinking about the risk profile and I really need to understand this Unfortunately, no. Uh, I think yeah, that would have been my answer. Yeah, too many, too many folks come up through the IT ranks mm -hmm. and think about this as a technology problem, and it has right. nothing to do with technology. This isn't a technology problem. Uh, I was talking to uh, helping a CEO of a company. He's a he has a. Uh, 350 employee construction company. And he was the, the victim of a, a business email compromise mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago, lost $150,000. And that's not a technology problem. Yeah. That's not that that's, that's a social engineering problem. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he, he, he started off by saying, Hey, I've got a great IT I, I outsource all my IT to this particular company. And I was like, I'm sorry, but this is not an IT problem. <laughs> and we need to start by understanding your risk profile from a technology perspective and how you, uh, what we depend upon from a technology management perspective in order to be able to run your business all the architectural design documents that you have and how you translate those architectural wow. design documents into mm -hmm. value for your company. That's, those are extremely important business processes, right? And so as I tried to realign him around thinking about this problem as more than just knowing, you know, that the IT assets are properly administered, uh, I think, we're starting to understand the importance of 
that human to computer interaction and talking about two-factor authentication and what impacts that has on the company and all those kinds of things. Yes. So, um, you know, that that's just a good um, example, I think, of the types of challenges that organizations and, and um, as a culture, we are trying to, to kind of transform ourselves into understanding, right? Sometimes I take it into the physical world for people, right? You talk about badging and fences and security right. cameras. I, I feel that it's, it's just more, I hate to use the word tangible, but it's just more tangible for them, it seems. Yeah, um, no, I, but I, I, I love, I love to use this example. So, uh, for, for a number of years, I was responsible for global security for the postal service from, from 2011 to 2014. And physical security, it was both physical and cyber. Uh, okay. I, okay. I, I, I had, I had the global security for the postal inspection service. Got it. And it had, uh, in 20, 2010, late 2010, uh, Al Qaeda, uh, AQAP, um, uh, the Al Qaeda and Iranian Arabian Peninsula had, uh, put some parcel bombs into, uh, the commercial mail stream. And completely changed the profile of um, the, the problem set, right? Uh, most people know this today is that their inability to carry water bottles through the, the security Airport. at airports, yeah. right? So they developed a, 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 um, a technique that allowed for basically a liquid explosive. And so uh, they placed this liquid explosive into a printer cartridge in... Uh, and, and a printer and had put this couple of these into the UPS and FedEx streams and uh, completely changed our profile for how uh, 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 threats were going to be presented in the parcel stream. And obviously TSA changed all of the, the uh, uh, security requirements at uh, airports, but we had, I had to go about working with global postal administrations around the world at that time to be able to uh, reconfigure how we did aviation screening as well as the physical security at all of the um, uh, offices of exchange. That's the points of departure within each country where postal items go into the mail stream or into the uh, aviation stream. And it was a massive effort and worked through the United Nations in order to be able to make that work. But it's the same thing, the same physical access uh, challenges that that you have in the in the uh, in the real world translated into the virtual. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you think about zero trust, um, zero trust is about knowing that the person that is entering your building is who they say they are mm -hmm. and that they are authorized to be there. And when you've got a security guard that's at the door, that's making sure that the right person is coming in, you know, that's, that's zero trust. That's almost the like the world. IDAM ICAM piece in yeah. the physical world. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and so, you know, in, in my estimation, you know, a lot of what I tried to, to install uh, had been rooted in, you know, strong uh, physical security controls, you know, for, for years and decades, right? But you're really understanding the value of something 
and then the risk to having that be compromised, whether whether sabotage, espionage, whatever it may be. I mean, that's that's really what you were describing mm -hmm. as you were talking about educating personnel and understanding where risk was when you first started. And I, yeah, I feel that like we miss that step sometimes. Yeah, a lot I, of people I mean, miss I, it. I think that as a society, we are not seeing the dependence that we have on technology. Right. And you look at the colonial pipeline situation, and that's a major risk management activity, mm -hmm. right? Where, uh, you know, I, I've got a dear friend. Um, she was going to go up and pick her daughter up from college uh, that same week that the uh, colonial pipeline situation occurred. And I said, uh, you make sure you better make sure to go get your uh, vehicle filled up with gas. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, yeah. when she went to go get her vehicle filled up, we couldn't There's get gas, gas. Yeah. In, wow. in the community. Right. And so from a from a impact perspective, uh, I think we don't necessarily know the dependence that we've may become, you know, the dependence that has come to us as a result of all the technology uh, changes that have occurred. And, you know, I think, you know, that's that's significant consequence on a personal level. Mm -hmm. But you've got to, you know, when, when you're a, a CISO or a chief risk officer, you've got to really hone in on how do you uh, identify and quantify the, those risks for your organization. And, um, you know, that was something that uh, I spent a lot of cycles working with the postal service on is, you know, what's the value of each of the, the IT assets that ha have on the business. And, you know, the, the inaccessibility of those assets is uh, very important. Uh, you know, another very important physical world example to the, to, to, you know, move it out of technology. Uh, the anthrax attacks on the postal service were a huge uh, nightmare. Right. Yeah. And um, the, they, they occurred in October of 2001. And uh, the postal service uh, deals with, all, all, unfortunately, a lot of white powder in the mail. And at the time we were calling hazmat units and, uh, FBI local field offices to go to respond to white powders found on machinery and we would clear the facility. So uh, a clerk would find a white powder on a, on a, on a belt that was used to move a parcel and they, you know, call the hazmat team in and clear the facility. Wow. And so we, we, we learned very quickly what the, uh, uh, operational impacts of those were. Obviously we were, you know, having a significant impact on uh, the uh, productivity of those offices. We're paying for these employees to be standing outside while the hazmat team was in, in the facility. And little did, you know, we know that cornstarch is used between magazines to, to make sure that they don't stick or, oh. you know, who would have known, right? And yeah. so we had hazmat I was going teams. down the cocaine angle. I thought it was a lot of <laughs> cocaine from South America, but okay, cornstarch. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's, there was that too. However, um, uh, we, we were able to articulate a very significant investment to have our postal inspectors 
uh, become first responders as opposed mm. to uh, hazmat units. Right. And when you, um, I think the lesson that's that I want to to kind of transfer from the physical world to the the cyber world is when you as a leader can articulate what the business value of a particular asset is and mm-hmm. the unavailability of that asset or the compromise of that asset um, translates into uh, a loss for the organization, you as a CISO, you as a chief risk officer can use that in order to be able to articulate the investment that's necessary in order to be able to protect that asset. And we trained up 400 uh, first responders that had uh, chemistry kits and spectrometry kits in order to be able to go out and identify that, yes, this was cornstarch or flour or cocaine. And um, and that was a huge uh, uh, savings for the organization because we didn't have to shut basically everything shut everything right. down. Right. Exactly. And so, um, you know, I, I just share that as an example of, you know, when I tell a, a chief risk officer or a CISO how to properly go about articulating their investments, you know, that's, that's just an excellent example. Mm-hmm. But do you find, did, did you find maybe, right? Because the postal service is, it's a quasi government organization. It's really a commercial business though, in many ways, right. right? So we have these problems everywhere. Did you find that when you went out to the business owners, they had an understanding of the value of what they provided, the, the cost of downtime, the impact, so they could they could articulate to you what the risk of shutting down was or the risk of some kind of impact? Yeah, we, we would see it in our secure DevOps uh, activities. And obviously, you know, that's uh, DevOps is a, a very, uh, is a great opportunity for a information security practitioner or risk officer to uh, become very engaged with the business needs of the organization. And it's in those uh, melees of trying to get new functionality out where you have to argue for the appropriate amount of security controls mm-hmm. versus the flexibility, ease yeah, of the use. F- yeah. Yeah. All the things that the customer and the business are demanding in order to be able to deliver. And also you've got the fraud equation that comes into some commercial applications, mm-hmm. right? Uh, uh, consumer applications. And, you know, that, that was an area where uh, my ISSOs and my risk practice really thrived in being able to meet the organization as to where it's at, understand where it needs to needed to grow, and then also uh, argue for the appropriate implementation of controls along the way. And, you know, obviously the business always uh, tries to get customer first. However, when that Uh, customer experience is negatively impacted by cyber or um, some programming error, you know, that always was a, uh, a great learning opportunity for my business folks and uh, a great engagement uh, opportunity for my information security practitioners. I'm telling you, Rachel, I think DevSecOps is going to (laughs) be one of the biggest movers or impacts to mm-hmm. cybersecurity in our time. Yeah. I you really know, do. 
I, I think that uh, some information security officers don't think it's their business because it's too much of a development activity. Right. But I completely disagree. It is where your business is at and it's where you need to be in order to be adding value to that organization. Period. Yeah, I agree, Greg. I, I always said that IT was a was an enabling function of the business, right? Whatever, whatever IT is building or doing for the business, they're not there to do it just to make cool stuff. They're there to help enable the business. Right. But cybersecurity is almost an enabling function of IT. Yep. Of yep. the business, like yeah. so, if you can build it all in from the beginning, we're better off. I mean, that's my theory. I'm sticking with it. The more people we talk to on this show, the more customers I talk to, the more I'm hearing DevSecOps and, and building it in early. And I do think that's a big piece of the equation. Agreed we keep you, bolting yeah. these tools on. And as a tool vendor, I'm going to tell everybody, it just doesn't work. Like yeah. you've got to get the basics down up front. It's, it's, not a it's not a technology problem. It's how you implement technology right. problem, maybe. Yeah, I agree with you, Eric, completely. So we'll, I think we'll see more as time. I hope we do. We keep falling further and further behind. So I hope so. What do you think, Rachel? Oh, I think it's it's something that, you know, we should probably be talking about a lot more. You know, I, I um, we've been talking about it more on this podcast, but I don't know that it's something that has bubbled up into, you know, kind of like mass conversation. Like we probably should get it to. Well, you can't sell anything necessarily, right? I, well, I can't go to, to Greg Crab the CISO and say, hey, I want you to buy XYZ, right? Which is what the whole industry is kind of re revolves around. Right. But I think, are we talking a lot about, you know, and, and Greg probably last year was a good indicator of this, right? You have to change how you think about security today. A lot of it's the mindset change. And then how do you yes. move that forward? I mean, I, I think of last year, what you must have gone through, Greg, you know, this pivot, right? This you know, remote worker pivot when you've got 630,000 employees. Uh, and Don't forget the election, Rachel. It was a busy well, year for this it man. It was a very busy year. So there's what, 18,000 different um, election authorities that the yeah, post office I, had to interact with. And you, you'd, I'd read an article about blockchain being, you know, kind of enabling technology there to kind of help keep things organized. Yeah, Rachel, Rachel you've, you've just about put eight different pointers to, to, <laughs> Uh, she, stories she forgot that I artificial intelligence, machine learning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we yeah. missed a little zero Identity. trust, but I, go with it, Greg. I, I only <laughs> deployed uh, fingerprinting capabilities to 100 post offices and got approval to expand it to 4,000. I mean, it's, yeah. uh, you know, the, the postal service is going to be the, the core of identity here in the future. But uh, uh, do you think so? I, I think so. Uh, the, Not social security. You think postal. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I think Social Security becoming a relying party to it, the, to the to that info. Right. Yeah. 30, 30, 31,000 uh, retail locations across the United States um, in a couple of years, 4000 of those will be able to be used as proofing points. Oh. I think it'll be a great yeah. opportunity for the physical to digital connection of, of real consumer identity. But, um, you know, the, the 2020 elections. Uh, Rachel were uh, a, a great example of uh, partnership between my organization, CISA, and uh, the election authorities across mm -hmm. the U.S. And uh, as you can imagine, there were some sleepless nights <laughs> along the way uh, when when uh, 
when you're responsible for the 66,000 pieces of equipment that moved the mail from uh, from the election authorities to to uh, the voters and from the voters back to to the election authorities, uh, we moved about 40, just shy of 45 percent of the ballots mm. for the, the the national election. Huge dependency. The total ballots, 45 percent of the total ballots wow. worldwide. Yeah, or not not nationwide. Well, yeah. right, but if, if I'm in Afghanistan, I'm mailing my ballot yes. back through the postal service. Yes. Wow. Totally. 45%. Who would have known? Yeah, right? I mean- You would have. <laughs> we saw it coming. <laughs> you, you, you would have. Postal would have. The common person doesn't recognize the sheer volume you're dealing with. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, um, yeah, that, that was- uh, we we did we did a lot to shore up the infrastructure, uh, the the investments that we had been making over the years to make sure that we knew all of the technology assets, provide in, uh, integrity on uh, the routing schemes in that infrastructure and uh, the whole perimeter as far as giving, uh, uh, reporting all of the tracking events that election okay. authorities needed in order to be able to assure that they knew where all the ballots were. And to be able to certify for election authorities that they had everything and uh, all was clear was a was a major exercise. And you know, I, I'm I was uh, grateful to be part of uh, the system that was responsible for that, and uh, really tip my my hat to uh, those professionals that worked for me that uh, spent a lot of sleepless hours making sure that uh, that was done in a secure manner. Yeah, I'll tell you, Rachel, we talk about the optimism in these episodes sometimes, right? It's it's missing, right? It's always the bad. The, this mm-hmm. isn't working. But right. CISA and the postal office kept the election on track yep. without impact. They, they, they kept it going. Yep. And there's some amazing American heroes out there that, that allowed our government yes. in multiple ways to function. And, and, and remember, that's coming off of a pandemic, too. Right. Not just cyber risk. Like you've got pandemic where people can't get close together. They, they kept it going. Yeah. Huge yeah. kudos Incredible. to those organizations. Incredible. Greg, thank you for you, you and all the people underneath you and, and working around you. It was, a, uh, I mean, I, I think sometimes we fail to recognize what it takes. Yeah. Thank you. You Eric. knew it was 45%. Right. I didn't know. Rachel, did you know? No, of course. I had no idea. Uh, I mean, that's got to be hundreds even, of millions of pieces right, of mail. I can't even wrap my head around how you would even, yeah, manage that's that. That's huge yeah. what they accomplished. Yeah. yeah. Off the top of my head, I think it was about 75 million return ballots, Whoa. if that's right. Return um, ballots. But what about, I, out, I know, I, I probably had. Yeah, the outbound mm-hmm. was was more than that. I had a, I, I probably from the state of Maryland had three or four pieces per fi- voting family member, my wife and I in this case, and one of my sons come into the house in preparation for the election. And that was all on time. Now, I will say I I sent some Christmas cards on December 14th and I got the, you know, they got to people in February, but prioritization, (laughs) understanding risk, as we've been talking about, I think that's, uh, that was perfectly acceptable to me. I hear you, Eric. 
I think that's acceptable. So, so Greg, as we wrap up, and, and Rachel, I feel like I'm dominating today. Maybe I'm just more excited than you. I don't know. No, no. I'm just, I could listen to Greg talk all day long. I mean, I don't even think we need to ask him any questions. He's got so <laughs> many fascinating stories. I could just sit Isn't here it and great? listen. He's and the amazing. data. Yes. The, the anthrax was on this date. The postal cyber yeah, event was on this date. What do you expect from an investigator? I, I'm not... <laughs> I'm like, I think it was in this decade. I remember it vividly. I don't remember the the dates and details, but you're right, Greg. It's you the hunted to the uh, or the hunter to the hunted. I want to yeah. know right, though. Rachel. I I mean, after what an amazing career, Greg. I mean, all the things that you've seen, you know, and the underbelly, but all the you know the great stories, and it's almost like a movie. I feel like I've been listening to a movie of your life. One night in Bangkok is the start. We're gonna finish big. <laughs> So I love. We well, I love when I hear that song. It's uh, <laughs> that but, will have to be the title of the show. Yeah, but if I have you, anything to do with it. How Go do ahead, you Rachel. retire after that? I mean, are are you like a daredevil now? I mean, do you have like a motorcycle? You you jump out of airplanes? I mean, how do you? I, I have jumped out of that? an airplane, but I'm not. You know, I'm not seeking to do that. I <laughs> I, I love endurance sports, so uh, you'll see me out on the uh, Ironman trail. But oh wow. Um, no, it, it was an unbelievable career. I'm very grateful for having had the opportunity to serve the country and to um, uh, protect the assets that uh, that were uh, in my entrusted in me. So, really enjoyed it, and you know, love the opportunity to share those experiences as well. And um, you know, as I as I look at the the future of cybersecurity for the for the country, I can't help but kind of reflect on some words that I learned uh, from James Woolsey. He was a former CIA director. Mm -hmm. uh, in 2003, I had arrested a, sub a subject that, that uh, was responsible for stealing 8.7 million credit card numbers. Uh, and uh, he was from uh, Simprofil, Ukraine. And James Woolsey told me there's little difference between a Russian businessman, a Russian politician and a Russian organized crime figure. They're one in the same. Wow. And when I think about what's going on today uh, and they're attributing these uh, ransomware attacks to organized groups in Russia, just think about that statement and think about the challenges that we face as a country uh, to address those issues. Uh, it's, it's not a technology problem. Right. And it's something that we need to figure out in order to be able to protect our, our national, national resources. Absolutely. So are you working with organizations to help them think differently then? Yeah, right now, uh, I've, I'm very grateful to have had the relationship with CISA that I had. Yeah. And... Uh, I, I'm currently working with Eric Goldstein and Matt Hartman uh, in uh, the cybersecurity okay. division there at CISA to help them uh, figure out how to address these issues and uh, working on on uh, helping them operationalize their strategies. And then, okay. Okay. Uh, Eric was on the show a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, Eric's a great guy. Uh, yeah. He is a thinker, and he's the right guy for for the job. Uh, I'm really excited. He he's got 
this mantra of uh, kind of transforming that organization from being a risk advisor to a risk reducer. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a, a massive cha- challenge. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, I think... I think his vision will help materialize a lot of um, uh, risk reduction across not only the federal enterprise, but critical infrastructure and state and local as well. So um, we all need to to pitch in and help CISA. Um, They have a a massive mission and I I really look forward to continuing that. And then uh, I'm helping a lot of uh, uh, companies uh, engage from a cyber resilience perspective. Uh, I think that cybersecurity is uh, cyber, if, if you're shooting for, for compliance in, in the area of security, you're shooting way low. Right. If you're shooting for Thank security, you. you're shooting way low. Mm-hmm. We need to be shooting for uh, organizational resilience when it comes to the management of our technology assets. And through resilience, we can can get past all of these ransomware and other types of events that are occurring. But too often organizations need to be told what to do as opposed to doing the right thing and and protecting their operational interests. Agreed. Yes, 100%. That could be uh, an episode all on its own, that conversation. It could be, Rachel. It could be. And guess what just happened? The United States Postal Service just drove by and delivered my mail. <laughs> Same time every day. Rain, shine, doesn't matter. 160 million delivery points every day. Thank God. They're still doing it, Greg. I mean, there's no slowdown there. That's great. Yeah. That's why I did it. My my grandfather was a letter carrier. And, you know, the, the one thing that I really remember about granddad was he he understood the sense of community that the Postal Service could bring. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the time, you know, a portion of his career, they actually delivered mail twice a day. And, um, wow. you know, that that was, uh, uh, you know, it, it really taught me the importance of the Postal Service in connecting the nation. And, you know, I'm glad that uh, to have had the opportunity to serve that organization for 26 years. Mm-hmm. So going forward and, and thank you. Thank you for that service, not just you, but your family. Absolutely. Going forward, though, cyber resilience is, is really going to be the big thing, you think? Mm-hmm. Oh, there's no ands, ifs, or buts about it. And How do we convert the industry to think in that mindset? Boy, I hope we can do it. Yeah. Well, it's it's going to take a community, and it's going to take folks that have a voice like, like you and Rachel in order to be able to make that happen. And Eric, uh, we're in this together, and um, whatever I can do to pitch in and help you guys, don't... Uh, don't hesitate to reach out. Well, we do appreciate your time today. Absolutely. Um, I, I think you. it's a great message. I think uh, we'll we'll do our little part in getting that out there. The audience is growing. So, Rachel, if people smash that subscribe button, it grows even faster, right? It sure does. It sure does. So smash it. Smash it hard. Yes. How do you actually smash the subscribe button? I, I've been thinking about that, like literally <laughs> thinking through it. It's like, I, I can hit the trackpad really hard. Exactly. You only get once too. You're a subscriber. You're only once. It's so easy. It's so easy. It's criminal. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. We have a postal investigator. <laughs> it's not criminal. It's legal. Go out and do it. Let us know. Give us your feedback. Let us know what you think. Greg, you're running 108. 108 is the company T- name? 108. 108. How That's, do we find uh, you? 
So uh, 108cyber.com is how we find me and on LinkedIn as well. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time today. Rachel, I'm sure we got another five subscribers right there during that window. It's growing quickly. Absolutely. Until next week, though. That's right. Until next week, everybody. Be safe. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Craig. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts.